Section 62 of The Toilers of the Sea by Victor Hugo. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Chapter 12 The Interior of a Submarine Edifice. This glimmer of daylight came opportunely. One step more, and Gilead would have fallen into water that was, perhaps, unfathomable. The waters of such caves are so cold and paralyzed so instantaneously that the stoutest swimmers often remain in them forever. Moreover, there is no way of mounting and clinging to the cliffs between which one is immured. Gilead stopped short. The crevice from which he had emerged terminated in a narrow and slippery exit, a sort of corbel table in the perpendicular wall. Gilead placed his back to the wall and gazed. He was in a great cave. Above him there was something like the lower part of a huge skull. This skull had the appearance of being recently dissected. The dripping nerves of the striated rocks imitated on the vault the branchings of the fibers and the jagged sutures of a cranium. For ceiling, the stone. For floor, the water. The sea waves confined between the four walls of the grotto seemed like large, trembling, paving slabs. The grotto was closed on every side. Not a window, not an air-hole, not a breach in the wall, not a crack in the vault. All this was lighted from below by the water. The resplendence was indescribable. Gilead, the pupils of whose eyes had been dilated during his dark passage through the corridor, distinguished every object in this twilight. He was acquainted, through repeated visits, with the caves of Plémont in Jersey, the Cru Malais in Guernsey, the shops in Sark, so named because of the smugglers who deposited their merchandise there. None of these marvelous caves was to be compared with the subterranean and submarine chamber into which he had now penetrated. Gilead beheld in front of him, beneath the waves, a sort of flooded arch. This arch, a natural ogive, fashioned by the water, stood out dazzlingly between its two deep black supports. It was through this submerged porch that the light from the open sea entered the cavern, a strange daylight given by engulfment. This light spread out under the water like a large fan and was reflected from the rock. Its rectilinear rays, cut into long, straight bands, on the opacity of the bottom, growing lighter or darker from one crevice to another, seemed as if refracted through layers of glass. There was daylight in this cavern, but an unknown daylight. There was nothing of the earthly in this brilliance. One could fancy that one was in another planet. The light was an enigma. One would have thought it the glossiest light from the eye of a sphinx. This cave represented the interior of an enormous and splendid skull. The vault was the cranium, the arch was the mouth, the eye-sockets were lacking. That mouth, swallowing and giving forth the ebb and flow of the tide, yawning in the full external midday, drank in light and belched forth bitterness, a type of certain intelligent but wicked beings. The ray of sunlight, as it traversed this porch, obstructed by a vitreous medium of seawater, became as green as a ray from Aldebaran. The water, all filled with that liquid light, appeared 
like a melted emerald. A shade of aquamarine of unprecedented delicacy gently tinged the whole cavern. The vault, with its almost cerebral lobes and its crawling ramifications, similar to outspreading nerves, had a tender reflection of the chrysoprase. The sheeny pools of the waves, reflected from the ceiling, were decomposed and recomposed in endless succession, stretching and contracting their golden scales with the movements of a mysterious dance. It produced a spectral impression. The mind wondered what prey or what expectation rendered this magnificent network of living fire so joyous. From the reliefs of the vault and the rough points of the rock hung long, delicate vegetation, probably bathing their roots through the granite in some sheet of water above, and telling off, one after the other, at their extremities, a drop of water, a pearl. These pearls fell into the gulf with a slight, gentle splash. The startling effect of this hole was indescribable. Nothing more charming could be imagined, nothing more mournful could be found. It was a wondrous palace where death sat contented. End of chapter 12 The Interior of a Submarine Edifice